Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Hey, welcome everyone. And at this time, I want to, by all means, ask our kids from uh, kindergarten through sixth grade, uh, it's time for you to head on out. So go ahead. And your teachers are walking out to you. Your leaders are walking out with you. And so have a great experience in Kids Zone. And uh, parents, moms, dads will be picking you up uh, after services over here today. So parents, uh, yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. If not, we'll have a problem. If uh, Tell you what, if not, DFS is going to be at your door later, buddy. I'll make the call myself. <laughs> welcome, everyone. Now, don't you feel welcome after I'm threatening you with DFS, right? I feel like this is a church who really loves me. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. Glad you're here online with us as well as we continue in this series as we're looking at God's amazing promises. I mean, you know, the reality is, uh, I don't know if you're like me, uh, there are times that, that I experience uh, in, this, in this past year a great boldness and confidence, uh, looking at life's challenges, looking at the, the problems set before us, and feeling like, a, feeling like a pioneer, perhaps, feeling like a person that I just set my my face into the wind and just brace myself for the oncoming onslaught or, or the dealing with whatever, whatever kind of situation might be before us. There's times I feel like that, and then there's times I frankly waver, right, and find myself questioning, find myself uh, wondering, you know, am I, am, I, uh, am I ready for this? Is my family ready for whatever issue we might be dealing with? Uh, uh, you know, are we prepared? I find myself, truth be told, at times, Maybe even wondering, you know, okay, what is the scriptures? What do the scriptures have to say about this? Are they are they silent? Is God silent during this time? Uh, what I'm saying is this: that in seasons like this, it's keenly important for us to be paying attention to what the promises that Scripture have for us. It's keenly important that we are reminding ourselves and reminding one another about the promises that are laid out in front of us in these scriptures, it's easy to overlook, and then when problems begin to hit us, buffet our bodies, as uh, some, some of the old school hymn, hymn writers would posit or would say, uh, it would be easy for us to be defeated, to be discouraged, to be fearful. And so, uh, if anything else, it's important for us just to take time to look at the promises that, that God has laid out for us and put in His work. Uh, before we start today, as we look at our third week, our third installation in this series, I was reminded of a season. For me, I was, I was 17 years old, and it was one of those firsts in uh, teenage life. And what I'm speaking about is the first time that my parents went away for the weekend for an extended time period, and I'm home alone. Uh, some of you know I have three older brothers, but they're much older than me. They're they're 10 years, uh, the youngest one of the three is 10 years older than I am. And so that meant that really by the time I was about 11 years old, they were all gone. They already graduated, moved on, uh, had jobs of their own. Uh, by the time I was a teenager, they had families of their own and uh, were out of the house. So in those, 
in that time frame, in many ways, I was an only child uh, as a teenager. And so only kid, and pretty much I went everywhere with my parents. When they would go away to visit family, uh, I would go with them. And so finally, with having my own wheels and with having a job, uh, made traveling with family pretty, pretty much impossible at that point. Some of you parents of teenagers are experiencing that right now and understand what I'm talking about here. This was my first. My parents are going to be gone for 72 hours, 72 hours. I began making plans, right? My plans got all crushed immediately, uh, having plans to have friends over for a party. And, and when my parents figured that out, then that got squashed. Uh, there was a little girl I was trying to woo at that point, and I had a brilliant idea of having her over for a romantic rendezvous, uh, movie, uh, movie night at the Turner home with just one Turner. And uh, her parents, when they figured that out, they squashed that. And uh, needless to say, that r romantic encounter was gone, dead in history, before it could even, even germinate. And you can make your own joke from that point on there. Um, what did my parents do besides shut down all my fun, shut down all my ill-advised plans? Uh, they also were in the process of preparing me, right? Lists. They gave me numbers. Here's the number we'll be at on our first day. Here's the number we're going to be at on our second day. Here's the number we're going to be at on our third day. Remember, this is before the advent of cell phones, friends, right? Here's the number for 911. Again, I was not a sharp kid at that point, right? Here's, here's the emergency operator number, zero. Dial zero if you need anything. And needless to say, when I was called dialing zero for the pizza, the operator was a bit perplexed for me. Uh, here's, here's the numbers for pizza. Here's your numbers for your brothers. Here's your numbers for uh, fire. You know, here's, the, here's all the numbers. And I had a list of probably 25 phone numbers for any kind of possible emergency. Uh, they made sure the pantry was well supplied. The refrigerator was stocked up. They made sure uh, envelope that there was the money. And this money, my parents said, this is not for extra food that you want. This is not to go see a movie. This is not. This is if something happens. And uh, you know, my request, my response was, "What? What is something? What does that mean? I mean, something means for me a movie." And they said, "You'll know. You'll know if you need this money. But if you don't need this money and it's gone when we get home, there's going to be something. You're going to pay. You're going to pay for that in more ways than just giving us back money." Boy, what a what a, I was on quite the razor there on that one. I'm like, well, okay, I'll know when to use it, but if I, if I don't know and I use it in a wrong purpose, I'm going to be in trouble. Keys, keys abundant. Here, here's keys to the shed in the back. Here's keys to the garage. Here's keys to the other car. Here's keys to the back door. Here's keys to the downstairs doors. Here's keys to, you know, keys, keys, keys. I had a whole mountain of keys. And as I've already related to I had plenty of new rules that were implemented in the Turner Code for just a 72-day window or 72-hour window. And so a list of rules that my parents, my mom actually took the time to write out. And she made sure no, no parties, no parties of any kind. And she took the time to, to make sure to delineate what a party was. A party was more than two people coming to, your, to our home for an extended period of time. I could not have anyone over more than two people. Uh, no girls. And for the most part, my mom was not worried about that, but 
she just was concerned still. No girls over here at any time. No unsupervised activities. That, you know, know this, know that. It, it, even though you're home alone, if you're running around past midnight, you're still going to be in trouble. Uh, get home before midnight, uh, even as a 17-year-old boy. And all sorts of rules. What, what were they doing? What were they doing that time? They were being good parents, weren't they? They were preparing me. They were going away, and they were preparing a 17-year-old boy for life, weren't they? They were making sure I was well-equipped, I was well-stocked, and I was ready to deal with the next 72 hours, and there would not be tragic results as, as a part of my experience. You know, the reality is, for most of us in this room, we've had that first, haven't we? Maybe it was the first time that you stayed at home alone. Maybe it was just the first time you moved out. You were moving out, and your parents uh, were preparing you and getting you ready for that experience. Maybe perhaps it was going to college, and your parents are taking you for the weekend to, to go to school, and while you're mortified and humiliated that you're wanting to try, to try to distance yourself from your mom and dad, here they are on top of you as you're getting moved into your dorm room for the very first time. Perhaps for some of us, it was uh, we didn't have that first experience until the, the eve or the week or the, the day, the night before, we were getting married, maybe, as you're leaving your home and your parents are giving you some preparation for what life is going to look like after you're out of the home. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here uh, and what Jesus was doing as he was preparing his people, his students, his disciples who would become apostles, people who are leaders within the church, within this movement, uh, how to do life when he was gone. If you have a copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn to, we're going to first hit John chapter 7, invite you to go there, and then from there we're going to flip over to John chapter 14 to look at this. In John 7, verse 37, uh, Jesus is speaking here, and he says, it's, it, the Scripture says, on the last day and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit has not been given uh, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is beginning to create his list of things that you will need in life. And the very first thing he seems to be saying as he is doing this process is saying, hey, come and drink of me, partake in me, be a, be, connect yourself with me, and from me I will give you the Holy Spirit. Jesus is teaching us uh, that the key to life with God in this life is to have the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, if, and that's what uh, that rule for the disciples, that rule for those first followers of Christ, if it was true for them, it's true for us as well. That the key to understanding God, the key to being able to live life under God's authority with his leadership in your, in your life and in your family's life, in your home, in your kid's life, is to have the Holy Spirit present. And so today we're going to talk about promises that Jesus gives us, promises that the Scriptures give us about the Holy Spirit. 
I understand that in, in, in most communities, in the kind of faith community that I grew up in, there was certainly some misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's purpose was. Uh, there were certainly in my faith community some misgivings. There was some fear of what would happen with an improper understanding of the Holy Spirit or what would happen, uh, would we be running amok if we, if we took the teachings about the Holy Spirit to an extreme? Uh, no doubt many of us have grown up in churches where there were certainly misunderstandings. And, and, and I'll just spell it out. I won't be nuanced here, okay? I came from a Baptist world, and in a Baptist world, typically there was a fear of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, there was mystery there. And there was, if you look in the book of Acts, anytime the Holy Spirit was mentioned, it seemed like, not, not saying this way it is, I'm saying this way it, what the experience was for, for a Baptist kid, anytime there was something unexplainable happening in the book of Acts or something odd or, or unique, the Holy Spirit was connected to it. And so, you know, there was this fear that was kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that's what I want to experience. I don't know that that's what I want in my life. Uh, I will say this also, too. Before you feel like you, you know, some of you that grew up in other traditions might be settling in right now and feeling a little bit smug and a little bit spiritually uh, superior to, to my experience, because I will also say there are some of you that grew up in charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds, Assembly of God backgrounds. And let me tell you, there's just as much misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit in those traditions as there were in Baptist traditions. And in those traditions, I see people that would, that, you know, you'd say you're Trinitarian, meaning we worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But in practice, all you focused on was the Holy Spirit. It seemed like it was a, you were a monotheist of one, one entity, and that was it. And it was just the Holy Spirit. Let's figure out how to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's all we're after in our lives. And the reality, there was all sorts of misunderstanding about that as well. And so the reality is, is most of us, no matter what tradition we grew up in, we probably had some misunderstandings in the years over the Holy Spirit. And so the best thing to do, rather than doubling down and saying, well, I'm going to continue to live in my misunderstanding, I'm going to continue to live with maybe some fear or with maybe some, some concern, I'm going, to, I'm going to continue to have those things, those misgivings in my life, the best thing for us to do is to open up the Scripture Look at the promises that Jesus makes about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and lean into those realities for our own life. So with that in mind, I invite you to go to John chapter 14, where Jesus speaks a great deal about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's role is in our lives. Starting in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus is making a promise here. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you, Jesus says. The promise here that we see is that the Holy Spirit will connect me to God's presence. I will ask the Father. Jesus is speaking to the Father and asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, and says that this is the Spirit. He is to be known as a Spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. We can, we can know God's truth 
not because we're smart people, not because we're a little bit more holy or a little bit more studious than other people. We're, we're, we can know God's truth not because we're more diligent or we put the work time in harder and more than other folks do. We know God's truth because the Holy Spirit, when connected with us, will, will connect me to God's presence. The reality is, is we need help, don't we? We need help. No matter how much you have life, no matter how much you have life in control, no matter how much you uh, have everything handled, the fact of the matter is all of us are in the same boat. I don't care what you say, and that is we desperately need the help of God in our lives. We need his help to navigate through difficult situations, whatever situation you might be facing. We need help to help us understand how to live wisely in this time. And, and, so, and under, under sobriety, under, under sober wisdom and sober mindset. And we live in a season and a time in which those things are passe, right? Those things are out. I mean, no one gets a, a reward any longer, it seems like, in our culture for being wise. But instead, you get, you get instant fame if you do the most foolish, reckless thing with your life, it seems like. You know, it's the way it feels oftentimes in pop culture anyway. And we're seeing here that the, Jesus is promising that, the, that we can connect to God's presence. We can experience his help through the Holy Spirit. Also, we see this too, a promise that the Holy Spirit, we can have confidence, will never leave us. Friend, le lean into that. Because, you know, sometimes in, spiritual, in our spiritual walk, there can be times in which someone feels they no longer feel the presence of God in their lives. Dave has shared about that experience often when he's preached with us and has told us about that story. We can, we can go through a season of time where we just don't have those warm fuzzies. We just don't sense his presence. We read footsteps in the sand and, and it leaves us cold, you know? It just, we don't experience God's presence anywhere in our lives. And in those moments, we have a choice to either throw up our hands and just, and just go into, uh, into a dismal malaise and go into a depression and sink ourselves into poor choices and, and beginning to develop poor patterns in our lives. Or we could double down on the truth of God's Word and say, you know what, God's Word, I believe, is true, and I believe that even when I don't feel it, when I don't experience it, I know that the truth outweighs my feelings of the moment. And when Jesus says here that the Spirit will never leave us, we can have confidence knowing that He will be with us even when we don't experience His presence. He is there. He is there. Another thing that Jesus shares and going on in, in verse 25 of chapter 14, he, Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit not only connects me to God's presence, but the Holy Spirit will teach me how to know God. How to know God. You know, this is a thing that we have to remember what salvation is. You know, salvation is not for the holy. Salvation is not for the pious. Salvation is not for the smart or for the people who tend to have great introspection in their lives. Oftentimes, when we think about, when we Think of faith and think of faith issues and how to do life 
under the authority of God's Holy Spirit, under the authority of God's Word, smart people tend to do this. Smart people, when they're watching what a Christ follower's life looks like, this is their reaction they have. You ready? You prepared? They scratch their heads, don't they? Uh, you know, smart people and people that, that are, are wise by what many people would consider wise in our worldly system, they, they, find, they find that following Christ just doesn't make sense. You know, you think, isn't it amazing when we think about the gospel? The gospel is so simple that a four- and a five-year-old can understand it and make sense of it, and yet it's so complicated and complex that people can spend their whole lives studying it and reflecting on it and be 80 and 90 years old and are still blown away by that. How does that make sense, friends? How does that make sense? You know, I experienced that just this past week. Uh, Dana gave me the, the task on Friday to get Dax into a, a haircut. She cuts his hair way too often. She likes it high and tight. Oftentimes I deal with the indignity and the embarrassment of looking at the barber and saying, I know, I know, just do something, do something. And I've had many a times the barber tell me, I feel guilty even charging you right now, which for the record, they still charge me, even through their guilt, they still charge. Um, and so this was one of those experiences. We go to the barber and I step away a little ways. I stay in the waiting area and Dax is about 10 feet from me. Uh, out of my, he, I'm out of his eye shot, and, but I'm tuned in to what he's speaking and what he's talking with the barber about. And, and this lady, this, and she's not a barber, she was a beautician actually, uh, she, she, uh, she starts talking to, to, uh, uh, to Dax, and out of nowhere Dax volunteers about his mommy is an is a eye doctor and really smart. And uh, she said, my daddy, he's a pastor. Now, he didn't say, and he's really smart, too. He didn't, he didn't mention that, but he's, he mentioned that my, dad, my daddy's a pastor. He shares, he shares Jesus with people. He, he gets paid to share Jesus with people anywhere he goes. And he starts sharing, and he asks her. He's very bold in his young age. He, he asked her, he goes, are you, are you a Christ follower? And which I thought, boy, that puts someone on, you know, we're going to, down the road, down the road as Dax gets older, we'll talk about, you know, some, some ways to, to maybe kind of, you know, how to share Jesus without offending, right? How to share Jesus and keep people comfortable, right? But at this point, he just throws it all out there. He goes, are you a Christ follower? And, and she said, yeah, you, well, you, you, well, and when you do that, you know, okay, the answer is no, no, you're not. Okay, but well, 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 yeah, I go to church. You know, that was her answer, and uh, she, but and she, and she was smart though, because she turned it back on Dax, and she, uh, she said, "Well, are you a Christ follower, Dax?" And he said, "Well, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm not yet. No, I'm not yet, but I'm really thinking about it. I just don't know. I don't know that I'm ready yet to trust Jesus with my whole life." Maybe in the next hundred days. That's what he said. Maybe in the next hundred days I will. Here's a boy that gets it. He gets it. Salvation is not just saying a prayer. He gets that salvation is not something we do as a ritual, as a rite. He gets that trusting Jesus is giving your life to Jesus. And, and, and we all know that a, a little six-year-old's life is a lot different than a 40-year-old person's life, right? We get that a six-year-old's life trust is, is very, the world is much smaller. I mean, it's, it's Gigantosaurus 
and, uh, you know, and what snack we're going to have while we're watching it, right? Um, but even there, Dax is wrestling with that, going, I don't know, I don't know that I trust God with that yet. I, you know, give me another hundred days to think about it here. Um, you know, he gets it, and many of your children get it as well. But we find that the world around us, a lot of, a lot of smart people, a lot of sharp people, a lot of successful people, they scratch their head. Why? Because understanding how Jesus wants to interact with our lives is not about our smarts, is it? It's not about our work ethic and about trying harder. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and to have sway in our lives. It's about tuning in to hearing the Holy Spirit's whisper uh, in our hearts and in our lives and then honoring that and obeying that. Jesus continues in in chapter 16, we're going to back up in verse 7 and 8. Uh, the scriptures tell us, uh, Jesus says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Oh, wait a second. I just really, because I'm in my mind going now, where am I going with this? If, yeah, I, I was reading verse in chapter 14. Uh, I want to go in verse or chapter 16. Thank you all for just sharing and helping me out during that time instead of being silent until I realized what was going on. In chapter 16, verse 7, chapter 16 here. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away, Jesus says. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be on the wrong, to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And we skip down to verse 15. Jesus continues on. He says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, promises us, promises us, will help me walk in faith with God. You see, I don't have to tell you what you already know, and that is in this world, if you're a Christ follower, we find lots of traps. We experience lots of pitfalls in this world, don't we? Minding our own business, just trying to do the right thing by God and by our family. And we start out the work week with the best of intentions, don't we? And, and as we're going through life, what do we tend to find? We tend to find that thing that trips us up, staring right in front of us. You know. To the alcoholic, it, it might be that they're walking through and they, they find their, their uh, work, workers, co-workers, uh, inviting, them, inviting him or her to join them for lunch. And next thing you know, you're, you've got some kind of drink, some kind of hard beverage there for lunch. You're tipping up and you're thinking, well, here I go again. To the, the man or the woman who struggles with pornography, you Pray to God, stop this, stop, help me take this anchor out of my soul. Help me live with righteous eyes and a righteous heart, a holy mind and a holy heart. Help me to stay faithful to my husband or my wife and my kids. And you have the strongest of willpower in that moment. 
only to then at some point you're scrolling through your PC uh, at a time that's maybe no one else is around and an ad pops up or some kind of commercial pops up that, that takes you down a dark, dark place. And you find all of a sudden now you don't feel the power anymore that you did just a few days or a few hours before. Many of us, we experience, we make decisions in our life. A couple of weeks ago, we used the metaphor of a ladder being leaned up on a wall. Today, I'll use the metaphor of just going in a dead end. You make a choice that you think is really going to be good for you, good for your spouse and for your kids, good for those around you, and it's a dead end. And you feel foolish for wasting weeks, months, maybe years, some cases a lifetime. And you have nothing to show for this dead end. Well, friend, you're not alone because the reality is every one of us deal with traps, we deal with pitfalls, and we have to experience dead ends. And here Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will be there to help us navigate while we're leaning on God, using His Word, using prayer, using the agency or the ministry of other people to help us, to help us. And then he goes on in John 16, verse 8. We read it once, but I'll read it again here. In verse 8, Jesus is saying, But when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. What's Jesus saying here? He's making a promise that the Holy Spirit will convince me and you of our need for God. As I mentioned already, that the, the whole salvation thing is something that is so simple that a child can understand and embrace it for themselves. Yet at the same point, it is a spirit thing. You know, I used to, and sometimes I fall into this trap when I'm sharing with people who I love so much and I care about, and, and they're smart people, and I am sharing the gospel with them. Sometimes I find myself explaining to the best of my ability the, the gospel, and, and they just say, eh, I'm good, thanks, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Life's going okay for me, I don't need that. What I, I, find, I find myself trying to intellectually argue, you know, I try to, try to convince them of their need of the gospel. I try to, try to argue Jesus into their life. I try to say, you know, say well, you know, it makes no sense not to base your life on Jesus because, because look at what he's done. Look at what he's accomplished. Look at all the evidence out there for his, for his lordship in our lives. And, and I try to, and then, and then I walk away oftentimes unmoving that person and I find myself frustrated thinking, why, why can't I, why can't I help this person come to Christ? And I realize that it's not about me or you arguing someone into the kingdom. It's not about you or I convincing someone about Christ's worthiness to be taken into your life. But Jesus makes it very clear that salvation is a spirit thing. The spirit is the one. The spirit is the one who coaxes and convinces someone to come to Christ. And the reality is if someone prays a prayer to, to receive Jesus in their heart, in their life, and they, they make a commitment to, to, to follow under the lordship of Christ, if they're doing that just because of your, your, their, the, your love for them or your loyalty to them, if they're doing it just to get you or I off their backs, if 
they're doing that just because they want to make everyone happy in the room. Guess what? That's not salvation. That's not salvation. Salvation is not someone uttering a prayer and getting baptized. Salvation is hearing from the Holy Spirit and being convinced by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God on earth who died on a cross in order for us to be, uh, for us, our separation to be wiped away and for us to be able to have relationship with God, in order for us to be sons and daughters of the living God, and that that salvation can only occur when the Spirit convinces us in our hearts and in our lives that Jesus is the real deal. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I promise you the Spirit will come in to this world. He will come into people's lives in order to convince them of their need. Oftentimes what I would say to you is this. I would say that for us, uh, when we are doing our hardest effort or our hardest work to share Jesus with our friends, it needs to start with prayer. It needs to start and stay with prayer and that you need to be a person praying and I need to be a person where we're lifting up our lost friends, our lost family members, our lost co-workers, because the reality is, is Jesus, Jesus has to act in their hearts. The Holy Spirit has to move in their lives long before you or I do. Now, hear me clearly. There's a place for us to speak. There's a place for us to share the gospel. And you know what? You will know the right time to do that when you are listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will open the window, will open the door for you and tell you, hey, walk through now. Walk through and share. Give a verbal witness uh, for, for, for why you have faith in me, why you have faith in Christ. But we need, to, we need to allow the Spirit to lead us, to guide us. Now, very quickly, we're about to wrap up, but what I want to do is just finish out with one more thought. As we looked at these promises and think about them, I, I want you to know or to, to talk about how do we get the Holy Spirit? I want to talk about that and look at that uh, because oftentimes there, there's confusion within different denominations and there's misunderstanding with different denominations. Some people will say that people are born with the Holy Spirit. They have it their whole lives. Some people will say Holy Spirit comes and goes and moves and operates at different times. And, and some people will say there's a salvation moment in your, in your life and then a Holy Spirit moment where they call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for me, and I'm just going to keep it simple uh, and for time's sake, uh, not go too complex here, but I just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is reflecting and sharing with this young church about, about what the Holy Spirit is and how do we understand the Holy Spirit? What, what, what do we, when should we expect the Holy Spirit? And he says, for we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink in. Uh, Paul's understanding, my understanding of what Paul believed about the Holy Spirit is we are given the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. At the time of salvation, when you say yes to Jesus, that then at that same time frame, the Holy Spirit will come into your life in that moment. Uh, Paul is specifically referencing baptism here and saying when we were all baptized with one baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, keep in mind, in Paul's day, the idea of a sinner's prayer, there was none. There was not a sinner's prayer that people would say, and then they would spend time being discipled, 
and, and then get baptized, what they would do is someone would declare and say, I, I, feel, I feel the truths, the claims of Jesus are real. I wish to live under the authority of Christ. I wish to live in the community of Christ followers. And then what would happen would be baptism. They would baptize the believer, the person. And for the early church, in that moment, that was considered the quintessential activity of salvation. Someone would get baptized, and at that moment, according to Paul, there would be a, the Spirit would come in during baptism, and salvation has occurred. And so we believe, uh, my doctrine states, as I look through the Scriptures here, that at the time of salvation, when salvation comes in my life, then the Holy Spirit comes into my life. My body comes into my life as well, and I begin doing life with the Spirit. The reality is, is Christ, if you're a Christ follower today, Christ is in you, and the Holy Spirit is in you as well. And it might be that we need to lean harder into dependency upon the Holy Spirit's work, upon the Holy Spirit's aid, and upon the Holy Spirit's direction for our lives. Could be that we as Christ followers, we, we're pretty confident and we're pretty independent, and so we feel like we have life under control, but the reality is, is we need to humble ourselves and trust that the Holy Spirit is there in our lives, giving us guidance, giving us, giving us comfort, giving us wisdom, giving us times where, where He he disciplines us for, for activity, for sin in our lives. It's unrepentant. And it might be that we just need to lean into that a little more uh, as we go on in life. Lean into that a little more this week even. Pray with me. And maybe right now, just as we're in this silent moment, you would say, yep, yep, Tony, that's me. I'm, I." I need to be leaning into the Holy Spirit more. I, I tend to make decisions. I tend to make decisions under my own authority, under my own knowledge, under my own impact, my own power. I need to start leaning into the Spirit's guidance. And I, I want to be better at that. I want to be better at that in 2021. Listening to the Holy Spirit at work in my heart, listening to the Holy Spirit at work around me and joining the Spirit, joining with the Spirit, ministering and doing life with people. If that's you, I want to pray for you right now. Father, we come before you, and God, we ask that here in this year, you would help your people be more reliant on the Spirit. You would Help us understand that the Holy Spirit is in our lives and present with us, that we are not alone. You are with us through the agency of your Holy Spirit, God. And that we would be more keen to be able to pick up and hear the Spirit's voice in the Spirit's unctions and workings in our lives. And we would be quick to operate when He tells us to share a word, when He tells us to do an activity that is maybe outside of ourselves, when he tells us to maybe respond to someone with love and compassion rather than anger or hate, we would be people that would be guided by the Spirit in this season of life. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.